lecture series in general chemistry. It is good that you are listening. Good morning, general chemistry students. It is so good to have you in lecture today. I am so excited. I am so thrilled. I am so privileged to have you as my students this semester. Just want to remind everyone before we begin, you are not alone. This is an academic community. Remember to get help when needed. Reach out to the university services if needed. Never give up. Keep trying. We are here to help you be ethical, intelligent, and successful scientists. However, at the end of the day, you must be responsible, ethical, and hardworking. So, just a quick um, shout out: the Nobel Prize in Chemistry was given today to uh, some scientists. Uh, scientists were um, K. Barry Sharpless, who also won the prize in 2001, and also Miss um, Bertozzi. And the interesting thing about these, uh, the prize was uh, several interesting things. But what stood to me was it was awarded for the work that was done with click chemistry as well as with bioorthogonal reactions. So it's it's a really good good read, and I would recommend you go and look it up, research it, find out more about the scientists where they work, Scripps and Stanford. So you may want to look it up. So as we do normally in this class, I want everyone to look at the structure of DNA. DNA is very important, very, very important, especially since most of my students um, vocalize that they are interested in healthcare careers. DNA is very important, a very important polymer to understand. Polymer made up of nucleic acids. A polymer made up of nucleotides, rather. And um, what we see, what the main questions I ask you typically are what atoms do you see? What functional groups do you see? And why is this molecule important? So I'm going to give you some time and I'll let you process it. Okay, so given that we have the annotation functionality in this lecture today, I want you to look and see, As you, if you look and see, you have the amine functionality there. You also have, I'm going to introduce you all, you also have the phosphate group functionality there. You have the hydroxyl group functionality there. That's as far as I want to go with you all today. However, in terms of atoms, we see we have nitrogen, we have phosphorus, we also have carbon, those represented by the bends and endpoints right there and we also have oxygen and what else do we have we also have uh, nitrogen phosphorus carbon oxygen and we also have hydrogen those are the main things that we have um as we, we talk about importance dna is important for several things but we'll just mention that it's good for replication replication mm, let me draw this a little bit better replication Important for replication. Let me erase these things. So we already have those things. It's important for replication, and it's also important for um, 
proper gene expression. So the central dogma talks about DNA to mRNA to protein, and DNA is one of the pillars of the central dogma in, bio- in biology. So it's very important, very, very important. So let's keep going. Okay, this is just a more detailed overview of the structure of DNA. You see there's a five prime and a three prime, a five prime and a three prime, five prime and a three prime. Um, we're not getting into that. Just note it, keep it in your mind. Um, it's referring to the positions of uh, those carbons and don't, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it for now. Um, so it gives, it helps us to understand the directionality of DNA especially when you're talking about replication and stuff like that. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's keep going. So a little bit about me, as I say, typically in this class, I'm a value-driven individual who wants to make impact in society using scientific principles. My core values are respect, integrity, and excellence. So I expect you to demonstrate those every class and throughout the semester. I'm currently a John faculty at the University of Bahamas, roles I've served in. Graduate student, ACS Bridge Fellow, Gem Fellow, Podcaster, and Author. So the objectives of this class. The goal of this class is to teach the chemistry content in an engaging manner that is relevant to the Bahamian student and digestible for their understanding. Sequence is as follows. Understand the fundamental concept. Practice problems relevant to that un- to, uh, to understanding that concept. Learn more nuanced details about each concept and practice more complex problems and integrate the details and the fundamental understanding. So, what we're going to delve deeper into today, I'm going to give you a quick review on atomic spectroscopy and then we're going to talk about chemical bonding. So, as we as we do a quick overview, I want to go through these ideas and then we'll get into the ideas that we want to discuss that are more relevant to where we are in the semester. So as you can see here, the question comes to mind, why is the periodic table arranged this way? Why do we have these S and P's and D's and S? So why do we have these S and P and D and F? So why do we have those things now? Those are those are designations that come from the angular momentum quantum number, or the Zimuthal quantum number. And L equals zero refers to S, L equals one refers to P, L equals two refers to D, L equals three it refers to F. And those give us an idea of the shape of the orbital. So we're not getting on back into what we already talked about. But we use these descriptors when we're writing electron configuration. So as we move along, depending on where we are on the periodic table, we are able to know what the electron configuration is for each element. And we discussed that already. So here we have a classic example. Let's look at sodium. So if you look at sodium, sodium's electron configuration is 1s2. So sodium, let me do a highlighter. Sodium. We have 1s2, 2s2, 2p6, 3s1. And if we go back, sodium will be 
one S. Sodium is going to be one S one S two two S two two P six three S one. They're just reading it off, just reading it off. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay, so I'm going back to the Broglie work. The gray particle duality is very important in this class. The Broglie's work is applicable to all matter. It basically says that matter has both wave-like and particle-like properties. So let's delve into atomic spectroscopy. Let's delve deeper into it. Using quantum theory, we can explain the atomic spectra of atoms. Each wavelength in the emission spectra of an atom corresponds to an electron transition between quantum mechanical orbitals. So here we see an equation that helps us calculate the energy associated with the transitions. So creating a spectrum. A spectrum is produced when radiation from such sources is separated into its different components. Different components or different wavelength components. So a line spectrum, so the difference between a line spectrum and a continuous spectrum is that a line spectrum contains only specific wavelengths. So specific, let's remember that, specific wavelengths, and a continuous spectrum contains light of all wavelengths. So let me let me erase that before we proceed. There we go. So a line spectrum is a spectrum containing radiation of only specific wavelengths. The continuous spectrum contains light of all wavelengths. So the Bohr model. It was based on three postulates, and those postulates referred to certain radii corresponding to certain definite energies being permitted for the electron in a hydrogen atom. That permitted orbit had specific energy and is in an allowed energy state. Energy is emitted or absorbed by the electron only as the electron changes from one allowed energy state to another. So, this is also a good point in the lecture to practice questions on the Rayburg's equation. You will need that for the final. The Bohr model has limitations. It only explains the line spectrum of the hydrogen atom well, and it avoids the problem of a negatively charged electron falling into the nucleus. This is just a quick review. Now let's talk about chemical bonding. So I want you to think about four questions. What is bonding? Why is it important? What are the types? And what types of elements tend to participate in the different types of bonding? So bonding is a theoretical idea, and it involves the attraction of electrons of an atom to the nucleus of another atom. It is important because it provides a foundation for understanding chemical reactivity, and also is important because it is a means for elements to share, attract, or distribute electrons in order to become stable so let, let, let's let's look at that again the foundation for chemical reactivity and then also it is a means for elements to share 
share, attract, or distribute electrons in order to become stable. Share, attract, or distribute electrons in order to become stable. There we go. Let's keep going. So there are three types of bonding. You have your covalent bonding. Which is the bonding between non-metals and non-metals. Covalent bonding exists in a spectrum in which you have non-polar covalent to polar covalent be able to assign assign things along that spectrum using the Pauling scale of electronegativity. Um, you also have ionic bonding, which occurs between non-metals and metals, between cations and anions. Ionic bonding is very specific. Um, you have your ions forming, coming together to form a crystal, a salt, some form of a compound. Bond, the bond arbor cycle gives an idea of how that takes place. Then you also have dative bonding. Dative bonding, also known as coordinate covalent bonding. And coordinate covalent bonding occurs between metals and ligands. Classic examples. So, if you do more research, you'll see how these things make more sense. Okay, so let's talk about covalent bonding. It occurs when ions share electrons as a means of bonding coming together to become stable. Uh, it typically occurs between non-metals. Ionic bonding occurs between metals and non-metals. This is binding or bonding rather between ions between cations and anions. A classic example of this would be with sodium chloride. So say you have sodium. Let's see if we can do this a little bit better. Let's see. So say you have sodium. Let's say sodium. And sodium. Let's oxidize to become sodium that's oxidized. To become sodium cation. Sodium oxidized become sodium cation. Let's say and and then chlorine. Let's reduce chlorine gas. Let's reduce. We have those things coming together. Now this typically takes place in a system like we well sometimes it occurs um it occurs but typically occurs I want to write this down I'll show this in a systematic way but given the time constraints in the lecture I'm just gonna show that you have this these types of things coming together. Cation and anion. Like one arbor cycle gives an idea of how these things take place in which you have the metal being ionized and you also have the gas being ionized. They come together to form a crystal analysis. So let me erase.
see if he can erase this. Almost there. Let's see, we're almost going to erase this. So this quantum covalent bonding returns between elements and molecules, metals and ligands. So let's talk about Lewis structures. The Lewis structure is based on the Lewis model and it helps us understand and make educated predictions about chemical observations. The valence bond theory provides a more quantum mechanical treatment of the electron, but not as they localize along the entire molecule. Molecular orbital theory provides a full quantum mechanical treatment of the molecule and its electrons as a whole. So the Lewis model is named after Gibbon Lewis, and the Lewis electron dot structures, the valence electrons are represented as dots with a chemical symbol to depict the molecules. So these rules, let's keep this in mind. Note the total amount of valence electrons. Let's keep this in mind. And we're going to refer to these, we're going to do a good bit of practicing in this lecture. And we're going to refer to these rules as we work through the lecture. Okay. okay. Note the total amount of valence electrons placing the bonds between each atom. Subtract two electrons based on the number of bonds added to electrons equals one bond. Ensure each atom has an octet. Exceptions occur with expanded octets for third period. Example include, examples include sulfur and arsenic. And then minimize charges. Okay. Bonding theories help us predict the circumstances under which bonds form. And also the properties of resultant molecules. Chemical bonds form because they lower the potential energy between the charged particles that compose the atoms. Metals and non-metals typically result in ionic bonds, which involves transfer of electrons. Non-metals and non-metals typically result in covalent bonds, which involves electrons being shared. Metals and metals typically result in metallic bonding, which involves electrons being so we already discussed electron configuration. This is the bond arbor cycle I was referring to. It's important to remember that bond breaking is endothermic. It requires the input of energy. Bond forming is exothermic. It involves the release of energy. Bond arbor cycle involves the gaseous metal being formed from the solid metal. Molecules of halogen being formed from the atoms. Ionization of that metal. 
and ionization of the gaseous chlorine, for example, and then formation of the crystalline solid. Lattice energies, I'm going to touch on these things. You know, lattice energies become more ex less exothermic, rather, less negative with increasing ionic radius. We could go deep into that, but just know that for now. Lattice energies become more exothermic or more negative with increasing magnitude of ionic charge. Ionic compounds in medicine. So you have your fluorides in your toothpaste. Ionic compounds are used in medicine to strengthen teeth and even as antiseptic and disinfectant. So covalent bonds are very important. Um, the shared pair of electrons is called a bonding pair, while a pair associated with only one atom is called a lone pair. Exceptions Exceptions to the octet will occur with expanded octets which have 10 or 12 electrons surrounding the atom, and this is due to the d orbitals in these elements being energetically accessible and can accommodate the, the extra electrons. Expanded octets tend not to occur in second period elements. Also, incomplete octets were seen with boron and beryllium compounds. Okay. Binary compounds contain only two different elements. Names of binary ion compounds are written as such. Name of a cation, then you have the base name, the base name of the anion. For example, if we have chlorine, chlorine, and we have an ion compound that's made up of chlorine and sodium. I just have them in brackets for just so you can see the separation. Uh, let me just draw these brackets just to the So you can see the separation. So we have that. So, name of the cat iron is going to be sodium. Name of the anion is going to be called, base name is chlor. And then you have your eye, sodium chloride, magnesium chloride, potassium chloride. So you want to keep those things in mind. So you pick a race, pick a race. Let's see. For molecular compounds, you have your prefix, the name of your first element, then you have your prefix, the base name of the second element. For example, dinitrogen monoxide, dinitrogen monoxide, carbon dioxide. Okay, these are some common anions, polyatomic anions. Um, the ones I want you to really focus in on are common ones. Sulfite that you have seen in BGCSE chemistry. <clears throat> also, you learned cyanide, um, ammonia, phosphate. That's a common thing. You do that properly. Phosphate. There we go. 
um, chromate, dichromate, um, bicarb, and carbonate. go so we have that those are the ones I want you to focus on so let's do a quick erase okay let's keep going resonant structures remember I gave you the analogy of the peach nectarine and plum so we had the nectarine in the center. We had the plum on this side, and then we also had. Now I adapt this analogy. Um, and then we had the peach, peach, plum, nectarine. Now these are not chemical formulas or chemical symbols, because uh, just bear with me for the analogy sake, the sake of the analogy. Um, you have your nectarine, you have your plum, you have your peach. So the resonance hybrid is a best qualitative, the best qualitative descriptor that we have to describe how the electrons are arranged or situated on the molecule. Um, Lewis electron dot structures are powerful when it comes to predicting things. Um, it gives us a good idea of what's taking place. Of course, you can do a little bit more with computational chemistry. However, resonance structures give us an idea of uh, it allows us to account for the fact that electrons are existing in one spot uh, all the time. So they give us an idea of the fact that electron clouds delocalize. But the main thing I want you to remember is the resonance structures just show where the electrons can be. They provide descriptions of where the electrons are. Um, when we have things like double bonds and single bonds existing in one molecule, we understand that electrons are delocalized. So it's important to be able to represent um, them as best as possible. And the hybrid is a general qualitative description of the position of the electrons in a molecule. Um, when you justify uh, bonding calculations and bonding degrees with like quantitative descriptions, that's a whole different discussion. But for now, let's keep this in my description. The description of where things are in the molecule. So let's erase. And the peach plum nectarine um, analogy is coming from the fact that um, nectarine is almost like a hybrid between a peach and a plum. So too is the resonance hybrid between different forms of different numerous electron dot structures. Best resonance structure minimizes formal charge. And remember we said that formal charge is based off of the fact that you subtract the bonding electrons and the non-bonding electrons, half the number of bonding electrons minus non-bonding electrons from the total number of valence electrons. Another way to put that is you take the valence electrons and you subtract the dots in the those electron dot structures plus the sticks. And the sticks represent the bonding electrons. Valence electrons equals not as equal that gives us an idea of the formal charge. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. It's a race. Yeah. It takes a while to really erase properly. Um, 
takes a while to erase properly. Um, so guys, I'm going to, um, the lecture is going to end soon. Um, however, I just want to erase and then we can keep going. Structures give you the solution to some of these Lewis uh, and Ashton structures at the end of the packet. Then I will send you another video for your imagery to discuss. This is what I wanted to get us to get to today. So I'm going to give you the lowest electron dot structures for all of these. Okay. So let's go. So let's go. So methane. How do we do that? So the total number of valence electrons is going to be four plus four is eight. We represent we put single bonds between each atom. We have four single bonds. Each single bond represents two electrons because it's a bonding pair. Eight minus eight is zero. We don't have to worry about minimizing charges in this instance. Because the formal charge of every atom on this thing is zero. Valence electron of hydrogen is one. Um, half number of bonding electrons is going to give you one. There are no non-bonding electrons, there are no lone pairs on this thing. So you end up with a formal charge of zero for all of the hydrogens. And for carbon, you have four valence electrons minus the number of half number of bonding electrons is four. Four minus four is zero. There are no lone pairs. Therefore, it has a formal charge of zero. So let's keep going. Um, I'm going to, whoops, let me see. Erase that. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's look at. Oops. See if you can fix that. There we go. So let's look at Let's look at something that's a little bit more challenging. Let's look at. Um, let's look at. I'll do a couple easy ones first. So BF3. BF. F. There we go. So, boron has three, each of these have seven, three plus seven, plus seven, plus seven, equals twenty-four, so twenty-one plus three is twenty-four, we have six around each one, that's eighteen, 
plus another six plus another so let's count this again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. So that's uh, an example of the structure that we have for uh, boron trifluoride. And I will continue with this um, discussion a little bit later. Um, but this is where we are for now. I plan to fill out this worksheet for y'all. Um, on another video but this is where we are for now keep practicing the problems and the next video will be uploaded shortly okay take care everyone hope everyone's doing well good to see you all and remember you are responsible to be hard-working ethical and intelligent scientists Good afternoon students, we're going to be continuing with the lecture we just did previously. We're going to work through all of these questions on this worksheet. Okay, so let's continue. Um, so... Before we do that, let's expand this. Okay, water. So we have water. Water, structure for water is going to be... That... That that so you have water go through the process write your structure so let's keep going keep going co2 Keep going. Just right now. 
15. Pause the video and rewatch it and go through the steps and see how I work these things out. Um, just using the steps, folks. Just using the steps. Carbon monoxide. Two minus 
extra extra finish the day. What do I mean by that? Oxygen has two, so two oxygen has twelve plus five is seventeen plus one is eighteen. So we have eighteen electrons total. So N let's go with N O O and two, three, four, five, six. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Oh, oops, that's not, that's not the proper thing. Yeah. Okay, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, okay. Let's try to go 0, that's that, that's minus. So that's not the correct, that's not the most be the best descriptive, best structure. So let's fix this. Put that. Put that like that. Put that like that. Let's see. Three, we have an example in class. I will give you the many rest of the structures for this. Um, I'm going to give you the most common ones. So like that, 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 that,
that's not bad. So, let's keep going. Monia. Petri, Joe, because of its own power, we'll get into that molecular geometry later. Uh, electron geometry later. Molecular geometry. Best, but we'll get into all that later. Ammonium. Eighteen electrons. This little stru structure should count for eighteen electrons. Oh, three. So let's look and see. Eighteen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. So six, three is the eighteen. And let's see what are we missing. This has a friendly charge. Plus two. So this is not the structure. This is the form of it. Let's, let's fix the structure. Let's erase one of these. Let's, let's erase this and let's do it again. So, O, O, O. Do a thought so Let's 
plus one, this has a formal charge of minus one, so this is a good structure, because overall the formal charge is zero. And maybe a way, it's probably a way to draw this a little bit better, but this is what we're going to work with for now. Um, this has a formal charge of plus one, so let me highlight this oxygen here. Minus one. Um, when we look at the overall formal charge of this entire thing, it's zero. So we have minimized charge. Um, let's do xenon uh, chloride, and that will be the last example for today. Has six chlorine, each chlorine has seven, seven, fours are hold on, one, two, three, four, five, seven, fives are thirty five, plus six is forty one, so we have 
one, two, so you have six around, six dots, so six um, pen sections that are represented in terms of the trend dot structure. Each fluorine, so six, one, two, three, four, five, thirty. So we're aiming for forty-one. So we have thirty dots, one, two, three, four, five, thirty. I count the things properly. So, for fluorine, fluorine is a halogen. It has valence electrons 7, so it's just 7 times 6 is 42. It's a mere race. So, times 6 is 42, so 6 is 48. So, 48 is the only four. I, I misspoke. So 48 is what we're aiming for. Um, remember, sulfur is an expanded octet. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Oh, I forgot. Let me see. 1, 2, 3. Oh, I forgot a sulfur. I mean, I forgot a fluorine. That's the reason why this. It looks like it's going to be octahedral, not triggered by parameter. That's the reason why I was trying it this way. It's not triggered by pyramidal, it is octahedral. So let me get my pen. So six, six times six is 36. 36 plus one, two, three, four, five, six. 36 plus 12 is 48. We have our structure, the electrons are counted for, and we have drawn it. So guys, I know we went through a good bit of structures today. I hope you see that you can tackle these things if you're systematic and if you approach them correctly. If you know the valence electrons, if you put single bonds as a starter between each atom, if you fill in the electrons around the electronegative and then the central atom, and then minimize charges, you should be on your way to drawing good lowest electron dot structures. Remember, the lowest electron dot structures come from the lowest model and they give us predictive power. So um, I hope you're doing well, um, and I hope you'll watch the first part of this lecture. This is part two, the practice portion. So take care, everyone.